0: Welcome to the Walk With Me podcast. I'm Pastor Stephen Bond from the Vine Church in Chapel Hill, Tennessee, and I'm excited that you are walking with me. What we do each day is we look at about three chapters of Scripture that I'm just organically reading through in my time with the Lord, and we're going to discuss them for around 20 minutes. You're going to get the most out of this if you read these chapters individually, but hopefully together we'll be able to hear the voice of the Lord as we're meeting each day. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. I'm stepping, I'm stepping down on your word. I'm Today's passage comes from Isaiah 16:17 and 18. We're continuing into Isaiah's prophecies concerning the different kingdoms that were surrounding. And um Each each one, as we spoke about yesterday, as we went through, uh, we went through this word against Babylon, this word against Assyria. Um, Then it goes through; uh, it starts to speak about uh, Philistia, and then um, Moab was kind of where we left off. And sixteen, actually, it's split in the middle, so sixteen continues on directly this word against Moab, and so. It says, send the lamb to the ruler of the land from Selah by way of the desert to the mount of the daughter of Zion, like fleeing birds, like a scattered nest, so are the daughters of Moab at the fords of the Arnon. Give counsel, grant justice, make your shade like night at the height of noon. Shelter the outcast. Do not reveal the fugitive. Let the outcast of Moab sojourn among you. Be a shelter to them from the destroyer, when the oppressor is no more and the destruction has ceased, and he who tramples underfoot has vanished from the land. Then a throne will be established in steadfast love, and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. And so there's a prophetic word pertaining to Jesus, so we're we're reading about you know they're saying, you know, there's, there's these instructions. You know, uh, it says Moab is laid waste. Beginning of chapter fifteen, it says Moab is laid uh, in a in a waste at night, and um, you know, eventually, just like all these other kingdoms, they're going to become rubble and ash. They're going to completely disappear, and so because the Lord is just saying, uh, there are um, all these promises being released in Isaiah of just everything that you see now you're not going to see anymore right everything that you're looking at now will eventually um it will flee from your sight and that's important because that prophecy is still true to this day that everything that we're looking at right now at now one day it won't it won't exist at all you know and it's sobering to think that way. And even as we, you know, these kingdoms, you know, the names of which are not, are, we don't really have a, a lot attached to Babylon and Moab and Philistia, you know, stories and things. But these aren't places we've, we've, many of us have seen with our eyes or visited and none of us have seen with our eyes or visited them in their former glory because the word of the Lord has come to pass and these places have become nothing. But just imagine this word to, to the understanding of China, you know, will one day cease to exist. You know, Australia, one day will cease to exist. All of North America will one day lay barren, lay waste. I mean, just these sort of, just to equate it to these places that they seem unpenetrable and they seem as though their kingdoms are Taller than they have ever been, and yet the Great Equalizer, the 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 Father of all Nations, says, "I'm going to actually lay waste all of this." um and, And so, and I'm not giving you direct prophecy. I'm using those as examples. Now we do know, though, that one day everything that we do see will disappear. So it is true, right? And so. But in the order and in the way and however God's going to do it in his own time frame, all of that is is up to his choosing, not something that I think we have the ability to grasp at this present moment. But it's healthy for us to know and not to be in awe or in fear of what happens around the world. Because ultimately, when, when the time is right, the Lord does exactly what needs to be done. And so these would have, as I spoke about yesterday, these would have been incredible promises to cling to when everything looked just the opposite, when these kingdoms looked stronger every day and meaner every day, and were oppressing them every day, to cling to the word of the Lord that said, one day this nation will cease to exist altogether because our God is going to rise up and strike them down. You know, that, that's a powerful word to cling to. And we can cling to the same thing just because we have the word that says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And so we know, no matter what I experience, that eventually this whole world is going to come into submission of the God that I serve, right? And so it's it's we can relate to it and and to that decree. And you know, so we kind of continuing on to these kind of these oracles that were um, the impending judgment upon these places and where pride, where pride exists for so long, a fall always follows, you know, and that's true for a person and it's true for a nation where pride exists for so long, you know, a fall eventually follows, you know, and it's, and it's wild how that works because, you know, pride is the arrogance of heart that says, I know, I know better than anyone else, you know, and it's, and it's, and it's wild you know even in our country you know pride is is actually somehow got itself yoked to the you know homosexual transgender you know uh sinful lifestyle and and they found a word that they that they attached themselves to and the word is pride which which is just horrendously ironic because it's, it's, that, it's that very heart that is, they're accurately describing themselves in is saying, we have pride. And what that means is that their hearts are so hardened that they think that they know what is right more so than God knows what is right for them, or that anyone else knows what is right for them, but that they have the ability, which no man has, to be their own barometer of what is just. We don't have that ability. If we're left to our own minds to discover what's good and from what's evil, we can justify just about any sort of any sort of thing left to our own wickedness—pedophilia or adultery or theft. Well, I'm taking from people that have more. You know, you can just about—you know—well, I just cheated on my wife because she never showed me attention. You know, well, I was just with this child, and they were consenting. You know, I mean, you—you you can just—you can left to your own devices, you can judge anything. That's why we're not to have pride or to have humility humility is to submit myself to one who is greater than i am because he knows more than i do and i i I surrender my right to question what's right from what's wrong i just obey what is right from what's wrong you know and so i just say that to say where where pride is celebrated kingdoms always fall and I'm not a, I'm not a world traveler enough to know in comparison our country's celebration of pride compared to other places. But it, it seems to me as though we're the front runners in the celebration of, of this posture of heart. I don't just mean in the sense of sexual immorality. I mean just this posture of heart of, I know what's right. That, that level of pride, there will always be, a fall that is expected to come. And um, that's true for kingdoms, but it's true for people as well. And so we must seek humility. We must seek humility. And um, and so all of these kingdoms were very prideful, and they were all growing, 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 until eventually they ceased to exist altogether. And so in the midst of all, all of this, we have a promise in chapter 16 where it says that there will be a throne established in steadfast love, and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. And that's Jesus. And so at the end of all of this, we're saying, we will have a righteous judge one day who will judge over every kingdom, and his name is Jesus. And um uh, then it goes on to say, um. um at the end of sixteen, it says, "And when Moab presents himself, when he wearies himself on the high place, when he comes to his sanctuary to pray, he will not prevail." This is the word that the Lord spoke in concerning Moab in the past. But now the Lord has spoken, saying, "And three years like the years of a hired worker; the glory of Moab will be brought into contempt, in spite of all his great multitude. And those who remain will be very feeble, very few and feeble." And so he's saying, even when they turn and they seek to pray, it won't prevail. Why? Because there was no repentance in their heart and they didn't heed the warnings that had come. And, you know, there there is a there is a grimace, there is a groan all over the earth, crying out for people to turn from their from their wickedness and their sin and to have justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly. You know, as as Micah the Prophet Micah said, there's there's that that word is being spoken all over the earth, and there will come a time when there won't be any more days left to repent. And in those days the the cries for help will will not prevail because we'll be out of time you know and and I believe that you know and um but as long as you have breath in your lungs, right, and the days are are still you know sun and moon as they are presently, then there's still a chance to repent and turn away from from you know thinking that you know what's best for your life and submitting to God. And what he and he what he knows is best for your life and so um in chapter seventeen it begins to talk about uh, it's a different prophecy con- concerning Damascus and then in chapter eighteen it's a it's a prophecy concerning cush and so and then even it goes into lightning which we won't get into today, but it goes into prophecy concerning egypt and i don't want to take time to necessarily break down each of them um, i want to hit a couple of key points that i think are relatable to um, patterns that that always lead into um, falls from glory and so um, it says in verse 7 of 17 and that day man will look to his maker And his eyes will look on the Holy One of Israel. He will not look to the altars, the work of his hands, and he will not look on what his own fingers have made. You know, and that's just a powerful thing because our eyes, stay fixated on the things of this world. But in times of humbling, we only look to God and we no longer, you know, look, you know, when people go through deep deep distress, all the things that we've given our lives to, And all the things that we've given our attention and our focus to are strangely dim. And the only thing worth glaring at is is our Maker. And verse 10 says, For you have forgotten the God of your salvation and not remembered the rock of your refuge. And, you know, there's just... That's probably the, the greatest thing that you see take place in a person's heart. Uh not greatest as in best, greatest as in most prevalent thing that you see happen in someone's heart, and that is forgetfulness of God. Um, God is everywhere, yet He seems to be the first thing that we forget. And when we forget Him, there will always be a, an humbling and, and, a, and a loss of all that we've gained when we forget Him repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly. And we know that this is Israel's pattern. If you just read you know, the um Pentateuch, read the first five books of the Bible, you'll just see that pattern over and over again. Oh, the good, they remembered God. Oh, they forgot God. Oh, they remembered him again. Oh, they forgot him again. And, you know, that's I think it's actually a lot of people's lives too. You know, I've seen I've seen that story play out over and over again. Like, oh they remembered God. Oh, their marriage is restored. Oh, they forgot him. They got divorced. Oh, they remembered him, they're loving their family and their life. Oh, they forgot him. They're 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 drinking again, you know, oh, they remembered it, you know, and it's just, you just see that pattern play out. But that's, that's been an age old pattern that's been existing for longer than any of us. And, um, it's one of Satan's greatest tactics. He doesn't necessarily have to get people bound up into, um, addictions and, and, you know, all of these, you know, things. And he, he doesn't, he doesn't even have to get people to, he, there's so many different degrees of bondage, but. He's not looking for the same bondage in everyone. Like he's not trying to make everyone gay. Like that's not the attack that that's not the assault that works on every person. That's a specific assault that that completely misidentifies a person from being the way that God made them to be into being what Satan has accused them of and they believe it and and it ruins their identity and they no longer are. The person that they were made to be, because they've chosen not to be. But that's that's a specific assault. To another person, it's addiction. You know, to to another person, it's it's uh, greed. But ultimately, what's beneath every assault is the forgetfulness of God, the 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 place in which I no longer remember Him and His presence in my life. And everything else is just a means to getting us to that place. And I don't believe that Satan is particularly picky about what utensil he has to use to get people to forget God. And that should also open up our eyes to judgment, because there's there's really no difference between the person that gets lost in their business, so much so that they've completely forgotten about God because they're so cloaked in greed and envy, than the person who's gotten lost in sexual sin, the person that's totally engrossed in pornography, you know, the, the enemy threw a different, a different dart at the different person because he, he used the arrow that he perceived would work for them. And what we like to do is we like to compare arrows and think, wow, that's so gross. I can't believe that you're a person like that. And the other person says, oh, I can't believe you're a person like that. And it divides us. And it's even been permitted to grow in our churches where we consider certain sins greater than others sin. But every sin is just an assault to cause us to forget God, to forget our Maker. And in forgetting our Maker, we forget the creation, which is who we are and what we were made to do. And, and Satan is a strong, he's a strong man and he's a wise man to know, um, what works on certain people won't, won't work on others. And just because you look at someone's life and you can't believe that that worked on them, there's things that have worked on you in the past that wouldn't work on them. And so the point of it is what really, what really completely stymies, totally ruins the attacks of the enemy is, is the simplicity in remembering God, remembering God. It's kind of like, well, I think one of our, I think one of the most, amazing things that the Lord ever told us to do was to take of communion. He said, this do in remembrance of me. And I don't think many of us take that responsibility very seriously. This is a journey that me and my wife have been on. We started just a few months ago where we take of communion every day. And when you look at all the feasts and all the the celebrations and the festivals, the, all, all the holidays that they were commanded to celebrate as a nation, you can see that the heart behind all of this stuff was because God was trying to give them the opportunity to remember him because he knew the state in which they would exist in if they forgot him. And I think when Jesus said when you get together do this in remembrance of me, I think it was he was unlocking something beautiful because he was he was remind he, he was stating I know your forgetfulness and I know you'll forget. When I said it is It is finished. I know you'll forget that. I know you'll forget that sin is finished. I know you'll forget that the death, that the, the grave has been robbed. I know you'll forget that. I know you forget that the, the veil's been torn and the Spirit of God has been released upon all the earth. I know you'll forget that love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control have been released and are yours for the taking. But when you take of the bread and when you take of the cup and you squeeze your eyes together and you call forth to your very soul to remember what I have paid for, it'll all come rushing back to you again. And so will the authority over sin and the authority over the grave and so will the authority over sickness and so will the authority over homosexuality and so will the authority over greed and over envy and over pride and over pornography it will all come back swelling into you again because you'll remember that it is finished that's the power of remembering and that's also the weakness of forgetfulness And so the two sides are literally against each other in a very simple battle where the Holy Spirit is pleading with us to remember. And all of hell is begging us to forget. And so we must make that choice, and they had to make that choice as well. And, you know, I I think the last thing I wanted to say today was, as we read through all these different things, we're reading about things that had not yet taken place, but that God was working on. And I think that's the last thing I wanted to say to encourage us as we exited these three chapters was just, God is always working on the things um that we're praying for and the things that we're asking him about. And, you know, he's working in the unseen place. You know, we all like to sing that song. Even when I can't see it, you're working. Even when I can't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop, you know? And I just want to encourage us all today to remember that even in what you don't see him working in, he's working. Even when, what you don't feel him working in, He's working. He is moving in the unseen, and He will fulfill His promise. And in the meantime, our responsibility is to not forget Him. Just remember Him. Do whatever it takes that you not forget the God of your salvation.